James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. If you are able, I'd like to invite you to stand, please, for the reading of God's word. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. I'm reading this morning from the New Revised Standard Version. James writes, Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the field, being patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who showed endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my beloved, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is the word of God, and you may be seated. Uh, from this passage this morning, I'll preach from the title, The Power of Patience. The Power of Patience. Uh, just a quick just thanks to those of you online this morning as well. We're really glad that you are with us. On Good Friday of 1963, eight white clergymen from Birmingham, Alabama, published an open letter in which they urged residents, white and black alike, to ignore the nonviolent protests against segregation that were then being led by Dr. King and others from the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. In their closing paragraph, they wrote this, We strongly urge our own Negro community to withdraw support from these demonstrations and to unite locally in working peacefully for a better Birmingham. They went on to write, When rights are consistently denied, a cause should be pressed in the courts and in negotiations among local leaders and not in the streets. We appeal to both our white and Negro citizenry to observe the principles of law and order and common sense. These white clergy saw the racial apartheid around them and they agreed that it was unjust. Their issue was with the tactics employed by King and his companions. They believed they were going too fast. They believed they needed to be more patient. The demand for patience in the mouths of the powerful has long been a tactic to constrain the growth of justice. It's perhaps strange then that in a letter, James, which over and over again addresses the wickedness of poverty, partiality, and oppression, to find in these verses a focus on patience. In these verses, James urged suffering Christians to wait patiently for their Lord's judgment. Having been arrested and confined to jail, Dr. King learned of the white clergy's reprimand and he responded with his now famous letter. In it, he wrote, Perhaps it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, 
wait. But when you have seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters, then you will find, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into the abyss of despair. I hope, sirs, you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. We might wonder, would King respond to James's call for patience in the same manner he responded to those clergymen in 1963? This is a question that we have to ask because over the generations, the Bible has been used to justify countless unjust status quos, to demand compliance with the forces of law and order, even when those forces are, in the experience of the vulnerable, lawless and sources of disorder. For reasons we will explore, I believe that James's call to patience could not be more different than what those eight clergymen demanded in 1963. Throughout his letter, after all, James has elevated the experiences of the marginalized and the vulnerable. He has made it clear time and time again that Christian community stands in radical opposition to worldly forces of exploitation. As Valerie preached last week, a word of judgment against oppression is good news for those who've experienced that oppression. So to read James as suggesting compliance with injustice would be to ignore everything that has come before these verses. No, I think there's something else going on here. Something that is in fact good news to the women and men bearing up under any wicked or unjust status quo. And here's how I'll frame it for us this morning. God gives us the patience to outlast injustice. God gives us the patience to outlast injustice. The, the need to outlast injustice is a, is a perennial a thing we might wrestle with. If there were no evil in this world, there would be no need for patience. Twice in this passage, James talks about the coming of the Lord in verse 7 and verse 8. The word here captures an important theme for the early Christians, this idea of Christ's return, which we sung and prayed about already this morning. That moment of Christ's revelation of his return when all will be made right. And so as we wait, there's a need for patience because things are not as they should be. Amen? James has reminded of this repeatedly. He's talked about temptations and cultural hierarchies and destructive words and oppressive wealth. James has reminded us in the chapters preceding this, that things are not as they should be. We have our own list of examples. Every time health fails, we are reminded that life is not as it should be. 
Every time a relationship stumbles, every time there is not enough, we are reminded that this life is not as it should be. Every time I don't hold my tongue, every time you succumb to temptation, every time any of us slide into shame, we are reminded that things are not as they should be. Every time we have been slandered, manipulated, abused, overlooked, rendered invisible, we are reminded that things are not as they should be. If I can be more specific this morning, when the jury, which will hear the case against the white men who killed Ahmaud Arbery, is made up of 11 white members and just one black member, we are reminded starkly that things are not as they should be. When our national leaders gather year after year to discuss and debate climate change while remaining beholden to the powerful guardians of the status quo, we are reminded that things are not as they should be. When whose life a person values can be predicted by the political party of their preference, we are reminded that things are not as they should be. There are all around us constant and regular reminders that we wait for Christ's return. And, and yet, and yet on, a, on a regular basis, on, a, on an unconscious level, many of us live, in fact, as though in some way Christ has already come back. What do I mean? We hear claims that if we just elect the right people, we'll get this country back to God's intention. Or if we just push hard enough for justice, we'll finally get this country to become more like God's shining city on a hill. We live, in other words, as though we are not waiting on our Lord to return and make all things right, as though by our own efforts, we can make all things right. We live, at least on one level, as though we don't actually need patience. But we do. We need patience as we await Christ's return. Yes, Jesus has been raised, thanks be to God. Our sin has been atoned for, death overcome, and the devil defeated. And yet we wait for Christ's return when all will be made well. Friends, do not forget. Do not forget the times in which you live. Interpret accurately your circumstances in light of the waiting that is inherent to the Christian life. God gives us the patience to outlast injustice, but we must remember why we need patience in the first place. James illustrates what happens when we forget the need for patience, when we get impatient to highlight the importance of living these patient lives, James illustrates the impact of impatience in a couple of different ways. Grumbling and swearing. In verse 9, James says, do not grumble against one another. Rather than in patient solidarity with our sisters and brothers in Christ, James was addressing a people who had turned against each other. Instead of following Jesus into the spiritual battle with evil, they had turned against each other in bickering and grumbling. 
injustice and evil in this world should provoke our anger, our righteous indignation. But far too often, we get distracted from that and we turn our emotional energy against each other. We are living through a dramatic and disgusting example of this, in my opinion. A, a, a little over a year ago, in the summer of 2020, we saw what was perhaps the largest movement for racial justice in this country's history. All around the country, people taking to the streets to demand justice for black lives. And what are we talking about a year later? What are we organizing around a year later? What are we fighting about a year later? Critical race theory. A debate and an argument that has infiltrated the Christian church in this country so that far more energy and attention is being spent on debating an academic discipline than in actually doing the work of racial justice. I hope I'm preaching to a couple people today. You all are quiet. I need a couple of you to talk back to me. Don, can you help me out this morning? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is, I think, what James has in mind, the, the grumbling and the bickering when sisters and brothers turn on to each other rather than following Jesus into the spiritual battle with forces of evil that are actually destroying people's lives. We get impatient. We get distracted. And then James says in verse 12, do not swear. Now, some of you are getting nervous right now. And maybe I'm getting a little bit nervous too. And, and yes, maybe we need to watch our mouths a little bit, but, but, but notice the, the, the edge of what James is talking about here. He says, instead, let your yes be and your no be no. So, so James seems to have in mind a kind of swearing, a kind of, of using our language which attempts to, to, to manipulate and to exert our power over. To, 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 with the force of our will and our language, guarantee that what we want to happen is going to happen. I swear it. James says, no, let your yes be yes and your no be no. We each know what it's like to, to try to mold somebody into the person we think they're supposed to be. This is what James is getting at here. This is what happens when we get impatient, when we forget the times in which we live. And so in verse 9, uh, James says, uh, uh, do not grumble so that you will not be judged. In verse 12, do not swear so that you will not fall under condemnation. You see, we are a waiting people, but as we wait, God is working. As we are patient, God is active in our world. And James says that when we get impatient, we get out of step with what God is doing in our world. Does that make sense? When we get impatient, when we grumble, when we swear, we get out of step with the good thing that God is doing in our world. We might get really active. We might be really, really busy. We might be burning ourselves out. We may be angry all of the time, but when we're impatient, all of that energy is futile because we're out of step with what God is doing all around us. So, 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 so can we ask ourselves this morning, where am I impatient? What provokes my impatience? And if you're struggling with that, ask yourself, where am I grumbling? 
Where has my grumbling distracted me from joining Jesus and actually confronting the material sources of injustice in this world? Ask yourself, where do I find myself swearing, exerting my will, my agenda, my vision, rather than listening and looking for what God is doing all around me? Where are you impatient? God gives us the the patience to outlast injustice. So please... Do not allow impatience to get you out of step with God's very good work in this world. So James warns us against impatience, but then he provides us a kind of imagination for what this sort of patient living looks like. A patient living that leads us to being able to outlast injustice. And he uses two different images. The first is that of a farmer. The second is the prophets. The farmer, James says, is is tending his or her precious crops. In other words, these are crops that are necessary for this person to survive. These are very, very important for their, you know, some of us keep some tomatoes on the back porch. Anybody keeps like a little basil plant or something? And that's fun, right, right? Wendy, it's like, it's nice to be able to do that. It makes me feel good. But but if it doesn't, if that basil plant dies, you're going to be okay. Right? But that's, that's not, James is talking about a crop that is necessary for survival. It's precious. And James says that this farmer knows to wait for the early and the late rains because in the region of, of Palestine, much of the time, it looks like a desert. It looks dry. It looks brown. It looks arid. The, 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 the places where you think there's a stream running through just looks like a dry valley. And James says that the patient farmer knows to wait, knows that the early rains will come, that the late rains will come. The the farmer lives in harmony with the land. The farmer understands the climate of the land. The farmer is not going to be phased when a foreigner comes into the land and mocks the farmer for tilling up a, a desert landscape. Because the farmer knows that the early rains and the late rains will come. And so they wait patiently. The second example James uses is that of the the prophets. The, The prophets that we read about in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, they generally did not see the results of their prophecy. Especially when it came to to Israel's Messiah. They, They often went to their deaths without seeing how God was going to keep his promises. This is a sobering example that James chooses for us. He says they showed endurance, past tense, to the very end. They went to their graves not having seen the fulfillment of what God had used them to prophesy into existence. How could they remain faithful to the very end? In verse 11, James says, you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The prophets that James lifts up for us were convinced that God is trustworthy. They were convinced that even as the world turned against them, God was trustworthy. They could be faithful to the very end because they knew that God purposed to keep them even beyond the very end. So what kind of patience is this? 
This is a patience which understands the times. Understands that we are awaiting people for Christ's return. This is a patience which lives in harmony with God's shalom, even as the spiritual forces of evil animate opposition to it. This is a patience which is so convinced of God's good purposes that it will persevere to the very end. I think it's worth asking again, is, is this yet another version, a sanitized or spiritualized version of, of the weight of the just be patient offered by the white clergy in 1963. Here's why I don't think it is. Those clergymen misunderstood the times, viewing white supremacy as an embarrassment that could slowly be rectified rather than an evil that had to be resisted totally. They lived out of harmony with God's shalom and urged their black sisters and brothers to do the same. They had mistaken their own privilege and power for God's purpose, and so they were unwilling to join the fight for justice. In contrast to those white clergymen, the many women and men who joined Dr. King in making that sacred pilgrimage to prison show us what injustice outlasting patience looks like. You see, they were not confused about the times they found themselves in. They chose to live in harmony with the kingdom of God rather than with the racist law and order regime of their city. They were so convinced of the righteousness and goodness of God's purpose for them that they willingly endured some of them to the very end. God gives us the patience to outlast injustice. I want to say it again. This is not a patience which placates the status quo. This is not a lukewarm, keep-the-peace-ism masquerading as patience. This is not the sort of worldly patience which responds to the demands of the suffering and the vulnerable with just wait a little bit longer. My sisters and my brothers, the command to be patient is a call to live in light of our Lord's return. See, the judge is standing at the doors. The Son of God who took on to himself our sin and our suffering will return and set this universe to rights. Even now, his kingdom of righteousness and justice is breaking into our lives like mustard seeds and yeast. And in our impatience, we will miss it. We will take matters into our own hands. And by our grumbling and our swearing, toil to remake this world into our own image. Be patient, therefore, beloved. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. The patient way of Jesus renounces both the exhausting manipulations of the impatient as well as the cautious and pious protests of the beneficiaries of the status quo. 
We are invited instead to be filled with compassion and mercy as we join Jesus in outlasting injustice. There is nothing passive about this patient, Christ-like posture. Biblical scholar Elsa Tamez calls it a militant, indomitable patience. By submitting ourselves to the will and the way of Jesus, we join the enduring saints and prophets whose lives testified to the ultimate powerlessness of evil. In his response to those white clergymen, Dr. King reminded them that the patient witness of the early church could never be mistaken for inaction. Here's what he wrote. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But, he writes, the Christians pressed on in the conviction that they were a colony of heaven called to obey God rather than man. Small in number, they were big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. May it be said also of us. May we, the patient people of God, be known for outlasting every injustice in our day as well. Amen. Amen. Spirit of the living God, continue to speak to our hearts now as we come to your table. Remind us of your patience with us. Remind us of the long-suffering character of the God we have worshipped today. Speak truth to our hearts and our minds that we would not mistake this call to patience as a call to passivity, as a call to acceptance of the status quo, neither as a call to exhaust ourselves under the strength of our own will. Be clear to us today. Give us wisdom today to understand the kind of patient lives you have called us to. Feed us now, Jesus, with your body and your blood. Strength for this journey. Strength to be faithful. In your name we pray. Amen.